The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Episode 299 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by FreshBooks cloud accounting software with a free 30-day trial just for you. Get access to all of FreshBooks features for free when you visit freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. Within one-tenth of a second, we are unconsciously processing whether we like someone, trust them, think they're credible, think they're attractive, whether we want to hang out with them. Hello, I'm Jeff, and welcome to the Read to Lead podcast and the final episode of 2019. This is the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. And this show exists in part because I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, that intentional and consistent reading is an absolute must. I'm going to help you narrow this ever-important reading list and bring you key insights and valuable ideas from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. Our guest today is an author by the name of Anise Cavanaugh, and her brand new book is called Contagious You, Unlock Your Power to Influence, Lead, and Create the Impact You Want. I'll ask Anise to share about how little time you have to make a first impression and what to do about it. Her five-step framework for helping determine what we actually want and how to make it happen for real and authentically, how to stop putting self-care on the back burner, and much, much more. First, though, this is my last chance of 2019 to tell you about FreshBooks. Tax season is just around the corner. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that is indeed the case. And I know when tax time comes around for me, I'm so thankful that I have cloud accounting software FreshBooks in my corner. It makes things so much simpler. I can create a number of different reports with a click of a button. I can easily keep track of expenses. In fact, your expenses are automatically entered when you connect your debit card to FreshBooks. And best of all, as your business grows, FreshBooks grows with you. I encourage you to check it out free for 30 days and get access to all their features during the trial by going to freshbooks.com slash read to lead. That's freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Be sure and put read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. This is a no obligation test drive. Do yourself a favor and check it out right now. Freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Anise Kavanaugh is an award-winning speaker, advisor, teacher, and thinking partner. I love that. To some of today's most innovative organizations and business leaders. Uh, top innovators and executives in companies like IDEO, uh, Zingerman's, Cooper, Fitbit, Vistaprint. I was just on their website yesterday. And many others have engaged Anise to strengthen team health, maximize leadership impact, and improve company culture. Her new book is called Contagious you unlock your power to influence, lead, and create the impact that you want. I'm excited to have you here. Anise, a welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Oh, thank you, Jeff, for having me. It's so good to be with you. Well, Anise, early in the book, uh, writes that we impact and are impacted by contagiousness every day. Uh, we're dealing with it all the time. 
What does this mean and what does it look like, this contagiousness of which you speak, Anise? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so so anybody listening to this can relate to this idea. So we walk into a room and the room feels really, really good, or maybe the room feels kind of heavy and not so great. Mm. Um, that is us being impacted. We're, re- we're basically feeling into and reading the energy of the room. You know, we run into somebody at the grocery store or in our office and you know, we might be in a really, really good mood and we get into that conversation. And then all of a sudden we start to feel heavy and we start to go to a negative space and we start to complain or the opposite. You know, we run into someone we're feeling not so great, but they feel really great to be around. So then we start to actually match that energetic vibration. And so the idea in my, this body of work, which is called the IEP methodology, which stands for intentional energetic presence. Mm. The idea is that through our intentional energetic presence, we are putting out energy, we're taking energy on all the time, and it is contagious. And we have the choice to really set the tone with how we want to show up and what we want to put out there, and then also what we want to take on. And so that's that's the idea of contagiousness, and we have a ton of control over our contagiousness. We don't have any control over anybody else's contagiousness, <laughs> but we can do ours. We can do ours. <laughs> well, uh, related to that, Anise, I've heard that, and I'm sure many others have heard as well, that, that we generally have about seven seconds, I think is the conventional wisdom, to, to make a first impression uh, meeting someone for the first time. But, but recent studies, you say, suggest it's a lot, less than that. So how, how bad is it exactly? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, I, so I thought it was seven seconds as well. And when I went to start doing research for the book, I found it's actually one tenth of a second. Wow. So w- within one tenth of a second, we are unconsciously processing whether we like someone, trust them, think they're credible, think they're attractive, whether we want to hang out with them within a tenth of a second. And what they found, they did a study at Princeton um, in the 90s, actually, they did the study where they found that if they gave a person exposure to somebody for a tenth of a second, they made the same judgments as they did if they had exposure to them for a longer period of time. So just because you and I sat together, like within a tenth of a second, Jeff, you made a decision about me. And over time, if you came back and revisited a minute later, it was probably going to be about the same thing. Mm. The only difference would be is you actually might go to a darker place with me, right? Mm. So it didn't matter if it was a tenth of a second or two minutes that they could tell very, very closely what that opinion was going to be. Now, the good news is we can change it. We can absolutely change it over time. We can change it, you know, even in a couple minutes of talking to each other, we can shift it. But really, it's worth paying attention to because really, truly, we're making a decision about each other just on our safety and our well-being with another human being within a tenth of a second. And I certainly appreciate the the idea that we can change it. That's been my experience. But would you, <laughs> would you yeah, but would you, <laughs> would you agree that once that first impression is made, it's really difficult to change it or no? I don't think so. I think, you know, well, it depends. So I love that question because to me, that depends on the openness of the person who's making the judgment. Mm. So for me, if, you know, or for anybody, if we're holding space and grace and we're open to having our minds changed, then I think it's really, really easy. If I'm a really judgmental, insecure person and I'm walking around the world in a defensive energy, then it's probably going to be hard for me to change my opinion about somebody else. I, it's, I'm going to like, let's just use you and I, if, if I'm really negative and judgmental and my, ener- and my energy is actually really bad to start out with, I meet you and I make that judgment about you, which by the way, I'm just projecting my own energy on you. So that's a whole nother element of this. <laughs> but if I meet you and I, and I make that negative judgment, if I'm really attached to my insecurity and to, to my being right about you, 
it's going to be harder for you to change my mind because I'm attached to my story now. Mm. However, if I walk around the world and I'm actually coming from a more expansive state, I've got more grace, I'm more secure in myself, I'm actually present with myself, then I might have a you know negative first impression for that split second. But at the same time, I'm going to be more open and more receptive to you. And then therefore, we're going to we're going to probably get in there and we'll, you know, there's a whole thing around mirror neurons and how we're matching each other. And we're, you know, seeing things that are happening so subconsciously, we'll be more likely to be able to change that first impression because I'm more open to you. Mm -hmm. The thing is, is that that's part of the contagiousness is that and that's what I write about in Contagious You is that I personally am at choice with if I want to be open to changing my mind about you, or if I want to make you the worst guy in the world, like I get to choose that. And that is going to help me create my experience. Plus, it's going to have an influence on you from a leadership standpoint. So again, it comes back to our own power of who do we want to be? How do we want to show up? And how do we want to be contagious? When, when it comes to me and East, choose wisely. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, hey, Jeff, you had me at hello. <laughs> you had me before we even got on the Skype screen. I, I mean, I, I was, inst- I, I got, I, you had me at your email. So yeah, I'll choose wisely. And it was an easy sell. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Likewise. Likewise. Well, uh, Anise writes about a couple of different uh, frameworks to help you determine what you actually want. And, and how to make it happen for real and, and authentically. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking to, Anise, uh, your, I think it's called your Want It, Love It Up framework and, and do the work. Can you, can you speak to those? Sure. So there's, there's I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of frameworks, Jeff, in case you can't talk <laughs> book. I, I, I think in frameworks, I think in five steps. Um, so the Want It, Love It Up five step is basically... A lot of times people, we walk through our worlds and we don't really know what we want. We're just not clear. A lot of times that's because we haven't taken the time to take a breath, sit down, get present and really think it through because we're so busy, right? So what I invite people to do in the book is to sit down and to really look at what is it you want. And the first step is to get present and then to be able to start to envision what you want to do. And I, I, in the model, in the model, it's just called seeing it, you know, so it's envisioning, envisioning yourself doing it, envisioning yourself being it, envisioning yourself having it, whatever it is that you're wanting, you actually get connected to the vision of what it would be like to have it. And then the next step is once you can see it, then you allow yourself to really want it. So you connect the feeling of desire for it. You see where it feels in your body. Like it's as if it's actually happening and you let yourself with full permission experience what it would feel like to have it. And in the book, I, I talk about this thing called the want dial. Um, mm. And this, this is a place where we can, if I, if I can allow myself to want something, and if I can allow myself full permission without judgment, without like, oh, no, it's going to be hard to make it happen, or oh, my spouse won't want me to do it, or you know, if I can allow myself to just want it and get tapped into that, there's a way that energetically that starts to open what I think of as like almost a portal. It starts <laughs> to open this ability for us to create that more. So First step is to see it. The second step is to want it. The third step is to really know it, like to be really clear about what having it is going to do for you, you know, what it's going to give you, what you'll be able to do because of it, who you'll be able to become. So to really get connected to the the reality of it, of of why this is so important. The fourth step is to to decide it because Mm -hmm. I can want all I want and I can have all these visions and I can be really clear about why it's important. But until I've actually made the energetic decision that I am going to create this in my life, like no kidding, I'm going to do whatever it takes. Until I've made that decision, I'm still going to be a little bit wishy-washy in my energy and it's going to be easy to let it go. Um, And then the last thing is to love it. So it's like, once I've decided to do it, now I just want to be in love with this idea and to be in relationship with myself where... Me, myself, and I, and whoever else 
are in partnership with creating this thing that I want to have happen in the world. Mm, I love it. Well, if you want to create impact, protect yourself from negativity, uh, help yourself influence others, lead well, navigate conflict, uh, and much more, Anise says that you need to adopt 21 uh, superpower practices. That sounds like a lot, and I don't expect you to go through all of them, but but uh, give, give us an, a sense of, of, of what some of these are. <laughs> you, you bet. Okay. So, so here's the great news, everybody. You don't, you have them. We already, I believe that we actually, most of us, ha- we, we actually have most of these superpowers. What happens is we get so busy in our lives and we get so hooked into all the external things happening around us and our kids and our businesses and our, like everything's good. The guy at the grocery store, we get so busy that we forget about these superpowers. So again, it's coming back to getting really present getting clear on what you want, and then looking at, all right, what do I need to do? What what superpower do I need to cultivate or use in this moment to help me create more impact? And so examples of the superpower stuff are curiosity is one of my very favorites. You know, the, mm. the superpower of getting curious about something, you know, if I'm, you know, the, the saying, uh, when furious, get curious, you know, if I'm really agitated about something, if I can shift into curiosity instead that's a superpower. Gratitude is a superpower. Generosity and contribution is a superpower. I talk about saying no, saying real true no's and real true yeses in the superpower list and the ability to say no when something is out of alignment with Mm. what you be up to. That's a superpower. And it takes courage. But also if you're clear and you're present about what you're trying to create and what you want, that superpower becomes much easier to access. I talk about deciding as a superpower. I talk about minding your own business as a superpower. So there's 21 different superpowers. And then there's actually another six, what I call uh, power trifectas, where if you put the superpowers together in threes, mm-hmm. they're like, they're a force. And again, we all have them. It's just a matter of identifying them and going, oh, I didn't realize, you know, for some people, curiosity, that is their get out of jail free card Mm. when they start to realize that they're making all these assumptions in their life and they're super irritated all the time and they're complaining all the time. That curiosity becomes a superpower. If they they only did one superpower, that can be their game changer. So that's the invitation is just to look and see what's one that feels really good to you and run with that one. Mm. Well, so many of us these days, I think it's safe to say to uh, one degree or another, Anise, uh, suffer from some level of burnout. What can we do as as individuals or maybe even ask it a different way? How can leaders uh, lead their teams away from, from burnout? Oh, great. So in Contagious Culture, which was my first book, which I wrote in 2015, I talked about uh, organizational and team burnout. And I talked mm-hmm. about the seven Ps that, that lent themselves to leadership burnout. And so I went deep into those. And then since Contagious Culture, working with a lot of different business leaders and being in organizations that were integrating the work, uh, what I found was that there's actually seven more Ps, which are more about personal burnout. And so I think one of the highest leverage things we can do to address burnout as ourselves individually, and then also in service of the people that we're leading and that we love, mm. is to look at these Ps. And you know, without going into all seven of them, I can tell you the first four, if you can address these first four, mm. they have a significant impact on the last three, as well as the P's that are in contagious culture. So the first four are uh, one, you want to stay connected to presence and the pause. So what I found in my work is that a lot of times, you know, people talk about burnout is, you know, I'm burning the candle at both ends, I'm exhausted, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not taking care of myself, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. Yes, absolutely, that that will, that will lead its way to burnout. But I've also found that these other P's, you know, so for example, presence in the pause, 
if you can build in moments throughout your day, even two minute moments just to pause and just to be with yourself, if you can uh, be present in the moment, like right now, you and I, Jeff, I'm sure you have a ton of things to do. I have stuff to do. So if we wanted to, you and I could both, I make this up about you. I don't know you well enough to know this. However, most human (laughs) beings I can make up, we could get very, very overwhelmed with all the stuff we've got going on. Mm. And in that overwhelm and in the mental churn of what happens in overwhelm, that actually is what I find creates more burnout than a lot of other things that we typically tend to blame burnout for. So if we can come back to presence and right here, right now, you're the only thing I've got going on right in this moment. All of a sudden, I feel super energized. I feel calm. I'm totally here with you. And I got nothing to worry about. So activating the P around the presence and the pause and leaders, you know, doing that for yourself, but then also inviting your team, you know, even going into a team meeting and taking a moment at the beginning of the meeting just to have a moment of silence or a Mm. moment of quiet or a moment to just drop in, that is activating that P. And what I have found over years and years of doing that work is that that is one of the lowest hanging fruits we can do to actually get in front of burnout. Mm. So there's that P, there's the P of being connected to purpose, you know, and why you're doing the work that you're doing. Because if you lose connection with that, then what's the point? There's the P of being connected to people and really remembering why you're leading, who you're leading for, um, remembering that you have people in your life that love you and that are there to support you. I think that loneliness is such a a thing right now. And part of the reason why we're lonely Mm. is forgetting this P, you know? And so exercising and activating that P is really, really important. And then the last of those four P's is staying connected to pleasure and play Mm. and also pain, giving yourself permission to have your pain and to not override it because you're so busy leading your life. So those are, those are some of the P's. I'm happy to go deeper into any of them or talk more about them, but those are some of the P's I talk about. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I've, I've met some leaders who are, are so good at this, uh, you know, people that when you have a conversation with them and you walk away having felt like they treated you in that 10 minute exchange or what have you, like you were the only person that mattered. Yeah. You know, you, you I've had conversations with people who, you know, they're not looking over, over your shoulder at, you know, who else can I talk to or, or what have you say at an event or, or something like that. They're just completely and totally focused on you. And it's so obvious when it's happening. Uh, and yet so few people seem to have that skill. Yeah, it's, it's magical, right? It's, mm. um, you know, I think, I think it's the biggest gift we can give each other as human beings is mm. the gift of being present and seeing the person we're with. Like really seeing another, because you think about, I mean, you're talking about right now, the experience of being seen and feeling important in that moment and that connection. I, to me, that is one of the richest things that we can do. And and it's funny because people talk about, well, I'm so busy. I don't have time to be present. I got to do this. I got to do that. Gotta, <laughs> and it's and what's, what's hilarious about it is that when they're doing that, one, they're not going to experience their life, but also they're not going to get the most out of their people that they're leading because their people aren't feeling seen. And so that's one of the biggest uh, ways to increase disengagement is to not see or be present with your people. It's also one of the biggest ways to break trust and credibility. So it's worth that minute, that 30 seconds of presence, those 10 minutes that you just talked about, which sounds so delicious. You know, it's <laughs> worth taking that time because you will get more out of your people. And also, I personally, I think it's just way more pleasurable for me to be present with the people that I'm with. It just feels better. So it's worth playing with for 2020. This next decade of leadership, like that's one of my, I'm working on an article right now about what it's going to require in this next decade of leadership to lead. And that's one of them is, is this real focus around the P, the, the, the presence piece. It's huge. I want to go back to this idea of contagiousness for just a second. Anise dedicates an entire chapter 
to uh, the science of showing up. Anise, what does the science say about being contagious? Mm, so great. So, so I actually partnered with a, a woman. She's a neuro, neuronal cell biologist, um, Dr. Sanuk Lee. She used to be at UCFS and UCSF, and now she's doing a bunch of other really beautiful work um, with different organizations. But she, you know, I'm not a scientist. Um, however, I've always known that this stuff, all the IEP work, could be backed up by science because I saw it work and I could mm. feel it work. And so for this book, we didn't do this in Contagious Culture, but for this book, I said, all right, let's really dig into the science because I want to know what's happening. And so that chapter is pretty rich. We go deep into the science of neuroplasty where we can actually rewire our brain. So, you know, little examples are, um, you know, presence begets more presence. So as I'm present with you, Jeff, and you and I are in a conversation on the phone or even face to face, mm. the more present I am and the more settled and coherent I am in my own energy, energetically speaking, and your brain is picking up on that. And then your brain waves will actually start to match mine. It's called mm. coherence. And so there's a way, you know, if I go out on stage, for example, or I'm leading a meeting, if I walk into that meeting and I'm in front of my team and my energy is really frenetic and I'm exhausted and I'm not grounded and I'm really worried about if I'm doing a good job or if the team likes me or whatever's going on, whatever is going on internally, that is getting communicated via brainwaves and energy and all the different all, like neural pathways, like all these different things are happening in that room <laughs> that other people are picking up on. And what will happen is they will match whatever I'm putting out there, and then they'll reflect it back to me. And so what this can look like is in the negative space, I go in and I'm not present and I'm not showing up and I'm like, ah, <laughs> the team picks up on that. They start to project that back at me because they're feeling it. Mm. Then I start to feel that from them and I go, oh my gosh, see, they don't like me. And then I start to freak out more and then I project <laughs> that back. And now we've got this huge energetic collusion. So at any moment, while that's happening, there is science behind it. At any moment, I can take a breath and go, whoa, 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 I am out of control. Mm. I'm off, I'm off the rails. Like take a breath, do a quick reboot. I talk about how to do the reboot in the book, settle in, catch my space again, and then reset an intention for how I want to show up right now. The minute I do that and my system calms, the room will start to shift and react to that instead. So the, the more that I do that, the more that I practice it, the more that I practice, it's called choice pointing, the more I practice, you know, choosing a positive state or a negative state, choosing a request versus a complaint, choosing to be happy versus choosing to be miserable. Like the more I choose things, the more my brain starts to rewire and get used to doing that instead. And so that's the neuroplasticity where we actually can rewire. So the way that we're seeing the world, the way that we show up, the way that we think shifts and that shifts our energy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And then the other piece of that is just that we go deep into how the food you're eating, your social media, your TV time, alcohol, oh my gosh, meditation, your sleep, your exercise, like how all of these things really do truly create an impact on your brain science, which truly creates an impact on how you show up, which then truly creates an impact on what you're creating out in the world and how contagious you are, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it, was pretty, it was pretty awesome to write that chapter. Wow. Fascinating. Well, what are some other ways uh, leaders, Anise, can help make their, their teams positively contagious? You've, you've hinted at some of these. What, what does that ultimately look like as, as leaders encourage their teams to be positively contagious, I think, is how you put it in the book. Um, so, so the first thing always is for the leader to demonstrate the behavior they're looking for themselves. You know, it's kind of like the Gandhi's, we got to be the change that we want to see, you know? Um, <laughs> 
that's that's the most powerful way to do it. It's it's what I find with this work is that if I go out as a leader, I'm like to my if I tell my team, okay, you got to be positively contagious now, and this is what it's going to look like. <laughs> the buy-in is going to be zero. You yeah. know, I'm imposing it on them; they don't care. However, if I'm taking really good care of myself and I show up in a way that's coherent, it's you know congruent. I'm showing up as positively contagious myself, and I'm really regarding my team and being an invitation to them to follow me. Then they're more likely to match me there. Mm. And so, one first leaders. You got to model it yourself. Get right with yourself. Do your own work. I promise you, you do your own work. That becomes contagious. Other people are going to catch it. Other things that you can do that are more structures and more logistical are you can have a conversation with your team about how you really want to show up. You know, how, what do you want your team to be known for? How do you guys want to feel? A really simple way of doing this is going in and at your next team meeting, just saying, Hey guys, how do we feel about the energy of the team? How do we feel about our meetings? How do we, you know, and if energy of the team is too woo-woo for you, just like, how does it feel to be on this team? Um, how do we feel about our team meetings? How do we feel about the work we're doing? How do we feel about our team dynamics? And opening up any kind of authentic conversation, even if it's just a little bit of a dent that you make in that conversation, opening that up, you'll start to find things that the team loves about the team working together or the organization. You'll also start to find complaints. And underneath any complaint is just an uncommunicated request. So if you can get to the complaints of your team and then say, okay, wow, we're always late. You know, George, we're always late. I hate it. We're always late. We don't get anything done. Our meetings are super, super unproductive. If I can get to that complaint, I can go, all right, well, what would we like instead? And then as a team, we can start to co-design different ways of being together, different ways of being more positively contagious, and then we can create agreements around it. And so it becomes a collaborative discussion versus me imposing what I think it should look like on my team. One of the things you mentioned briefly was taking care of yourself. Uh, why do you think we tend to put things like, I think many of us at least, self-care on, on, on the back burner? Yeah, I think uh, my experience of that for myself personally and then also what I witness in other people is I think that we, I think we take well-being for granted. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, I think it's a bad habit. You know, we, when push comes to shove and there's so much stuff that needs to be done, it's very, very easy to put ourselves last and just go, okay, you know, like the saying that I can't stand, Jeff, that just makes my skin crawl every time is the whole, like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. That Mm -hmm. makes me... yeah insane. You know, I think that, um, I think that uh, the other reason is that self-care can be built up to be this huge thing where it's like, if I'm doing self-care, I'm training five days a week. I'm getting two massages a week. I'm eating perfectly. I'm, you know, like I'm sleeping 10 hours a night. Like I think that self-care can get really distorted to be this huge thing, which then becomes so daunting and intimidating that people put it out there as something they've got to do and, and, and then they don't do it. And so instead my invitation to people is to really look at what your version of self-care is. And self-care to me is the little things. It's like taking that one minute pause in between meetings to take care of yourself. It's using the bathroom when you have to use the bathroom instead of holding it through your next meeting. (laughs) It's drinking water. It's being nice to yourself. I mean, I think being kind to ourselves is one of the greatest acts of self-care we can have. So the minute I start to find myself beating myself up because I just didn't do that talk right, or I didn't, you know, what, whatever it might be, the minute I find myself beating myself up, can I stop, take a breath and actually give myself a break, a little bit of space and grace, and then be kind. And that is self care. So yes, exercise your food, all that, of course, pay attention to that. But don't let self care be so scary and big and daunting that you don't do any of it because, because it, it, it's not, it doesn't have to be that big. It's little things. 
We, we need to pause while I go to the bathroom. Can you hang? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm, te- I'm, I'm teasing. I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll be happy. To. You know, it's really funny. It's really funny. Years ago when I was um, facilitating a lot of teams, I don't, you know, I, I do it less now, but years ago when I was doing a ton of facilitation, I would, I would say at the beginning, we'd make agreements. And one of the agreements was always, you know, take care of yourself. Mm. And then I would also talk about water, you know, like how important hydration is. By the time we even realize we're thirsty, we're already dehydrated. Mm. And when we're dehydrated, our brains don't work as great. (laughs) So I would say, let's get water going. And so I would have the requirements be that we had water at every table and everything. And then what would happen is we had to take a lot more breaks because everyone started (laughs) taking care of themselves. So it was just this very (laughs) interesting thing where the meetings got shorter. However, I'll tell you, the productivity of those meetings mm. and the integrity of those meetings went up significantly. So if you need to take a break, like I'm, I'm totally in support of that. Yeah, well, I, I try to do that before my interviews when at all possible. So I'm, I'm <laughs> well, good there. Great. That's great. That's great self-leadership. So <laughs> that, there that. you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I've kind of bounced around the book here quite a bit. And, uh, you know, I feel like we've only it's sort of touched the, the tip of the iceberg here. Uh, before I move on to some questions not directly related to the book, Anise, anything else you want to make sure we, we walk away with? Yeah, I, I think a couple of things. One, I look at self-care and self-kindness as two of the most important leadership skills you have. We can't lead at our best or hold the best container for other people um, if we're not resourced, if we're exhausted, if we're burnt out. So I really want to underline how important that is. The other, the other piece is it, it's worth evaluating what the cost of negative energy is in your life, in your organization, on your team. Um, In the book, there's an entire chapter devoted to assessments where I actually help people look at what it's costing them and where their blind spots might be around their energy because the negative energy toxicity in in our culture period is costing us its time, its money, its innovation, its sleep, it's our relationships, like all these different pieces. So I just wanna underline that as an invitation for people, especially as we move into this next period of time, like to really look at what is the cost of negative energy? Mm. How are you contributing to it? And then what is the benefit and the gift of when you address it? And it can be the littlest things, Jeff, that make the biggest changes. And then the third piece is just really looking at who you're becoming and what you want your life to be about. And in order to become that person, then what kind of contagious do you need to be? And what kind of boundaries do you need to create around yourself so you don't catch other people's stuff that is likely to slow you down in your becoming? Mm-hmm. So those are three things that off the top of my head feel important right now. Excellent. Well, if uh, Anise, you're like most authors I talk to, you love to read. I do. I would love it if you could share a book or two or three up to you that has had an impact on you over the years and maybe share how or why the, uh, those books have impacted you as they have. Mm. Okay. So uh, number one book is Leadership and Self-Deception, Getting Out of the Box. Mm. And that's by the Arbinger Institute. Um, I read that book in 2003 and it changed the way that I saw human beings. It oh, was wow. super, super important. It's um, it's very simple. It's, uh, it's a book that I reread every single year um, and really personally helped me just think about my regard for humans. You know, we, we walk through our lives and we get so busy. We're, we're, we're usually regarding people as people or as objects. Mm. And I had not even thought about that until I read that book. So that one um, was really important to me. And it's, it's informed a lot of the way that I think about IEP and the way that I think about relational dynamics and collaboration and culture. So that one would be one of my top. Um, another one that I just really love that, that gave me a lot was Hugh McCloyd's Ignore Everybody. Um, very, very different book, pictures, you know, light stuff, very light book, easy, easy read. Mm. Um, but I just really liked his attitude about ignoring everybody and doing what you wanted to do. 
And then one more recently, which I really kind of melted into and I didn't expect to was um, The Book of Joy by the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. Hmm. I really enjoyed that one. So those three, as we sit here, like those three come up for me is, is significant in my life. There's a ton, but those, those are good. Well, the interesting thing is in the six and a half years of doing the show, I don't think any of those three have ever been recommended before. I think they're all fresh. <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I'm so happy to add something fresh. I mean, there's so many amazing books out there, Jeff. Mm. There's, there's so much good stuff. I, I think if I could have a soup, one of my superpowers, if I could add one would be like, I want to put my hands on a book and be able to digest it. <laughs> did, there was a movie. Did you remember the movie about the robot years and years ago? I forget what it was. It was Ali Sheedy, I think, and some other actor and oh, yeah, the robot. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I can't remember the name of the movie, but, I, but I've, I've seen it. Yeah, I know the one, I know oh, the one you mean. If he could put his hand on the book and then digest it, I was like, I want that superpower. But anyway, so I'm very grateful that people write such good books because they're they're helpful. <laughs> was it by chance? Was it called Short Circuit? Maybe. Yes, I it? think it was. Okay, I think it was. I think it is Short Circuit. Oh, nice work. I had to dig in the recesses of my mind to find that. I don't know where that, what folder that was in, but it, it popped to the top there. As as our conversation began. Uh, I realize that so much of what you write about can be applied, I think, to my next question. And that is, as someone who does a, a good amount of public speaking, and that's a, that's a skill I think every leader needs to have, what would you say are some things that you've learned over the years for delivering a mm. talk that's impactful and, and memorable? Mm, mm. Okay, so for me, that would be really working on your IEP before you go on stage mm, mm. Um, and even as you're practicing it. So your IEP is your intentional energetic presence. So it's your intentions, your energy and your presence. So just doing a little bit of work ahead of time before you even get out there. And even as you're working on your talk and outlining it, the more present and dropped in you are to your body and the clearer you are on your intentions for the impact that you want to have, the easier it's going to be to have that talk or to give that talk. Um, the other piece is my my favorite hack or whatever you want to call it is if I'm nervous, so I, I always get a little bit nervous before I go out to speak, no matter how many mm -hmm. talks I give, no matter how big or small the audience is, it doesn't matter. I'm always a little bit like, yep. <laughs> and I've learned to really appreciate that. And I would actually, I'm to the point now in my life where if I didn't have a little bit of that, I'd be concerned because- <laughs> What it does for me is it keeps me awake and it has me show how much I care about what I'm going to speak to them about. Mm. And so the way that I navigate that, because I get asked about this all the time, like how do you handle nerves backstage? The way I navigate it is one, I appreciate it. I appreciate that feeling. And then I use that energy to project that and to bring that out and to like have to, to let it carry me with the audience. And then the other thing I do is that I really look at the audience and I remember that I'm there to be in service of them and to contribute to them. And it is not about me. So they don't need my nerves. They don't need me worrying about if I'm going to do a good job. They don't need any of that. What they need, they want me to win. They want me to come out and give them really, really great content yes. that will serve their lives. So if I remember that, Jeff, then I am free. And then I get to have the best time in the world with them. Mm. So those are two of my tips. Um, and to just be with them, you know, just to really be with them, but then also have a plan, you know, don't just be with them and like, lollygag on stage and everything or <laughs> yeah, the other the other piece that a really good friend of mine um there's a company called ally matt that i did work with a couple years ago and they're some of my closest friends now but they they talk about you know at the beginning when you go out to give a talk you make the your entry about the audience you know you don't just stand up there and be like oh i'm so happy to be here and it's so lovely and like if you make it about you you've lost them so you've uh, got to 
do something in your ramp that makes it automatically about the audience so that they see that you're there for them. You're not there for you. So those are, those are three, three things that I've found really useful. So much of what you talked about, uh, I can confirm my own experience. That's, that's how my thinking about public speaking has evolved, particularly the part you talked about appreciating the nerves uh, <sighs> th- that used to just be uh, really difficult uh, for me, just even sitting around a table and having to go around and introduce ourselves you know, yeah. uh, with people I didn't yeah. know well was was nerve wracking for me. But but I have learned with practice and doing it again and again and just forced myself to get out there to, to really appreciate that and look at that and view that in a completely different way. So totally there with you. And we just have a couple of minutes left. The book has been out now for, I think, a little bit over a month. Um, mm-hmm. And I know you've probably got some more interviews coming up in the near future as well. Uh, but beyond that, what's ahead that you and your team are excited about? Anything you can you can tell us that's down the road? Oh yeah, for sure. So, <laughs> so we're going to do, so there's a couple of things. We're really shifting a lot of the way that we've done this work in the past. And I'm excited about what's mm. coming for this next decade. I'm thinking of it in decades. It's really funny. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, I, 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 I keep going back to decade thinking and for this next year. So, so one thing is the, yeah, the book just came out a month ago. I've been doing a lot of interviews. I am going to be doing a little bit more of a, it's not really a book tour, but more book visits in quarter two of next year in mm. 2020. I'm going to do some book visits um, when the weather gets better. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be, I'll be going and, and, and doing some stuff out there just to like go, we're doing uh, what we're calling contagious you days, contagious leadership days um, where we'll invite people to come and then they can come and get the book and they, they can go through the exercise and all this stuff. So we're working on that right now. I'm really excited about that. Our products, we have a lot of online programs, Jeff, that, that people get, they never even have to meet me and they do these programs and then they've got the IEP work in their body. They can share it with their team and everything. And up until this point, I've been so focused on writing books and then actually being in rooms and speaking to people that I haven't really done a lot with the, with our online programs. And so this year, we've actually made the decision to really share those with the world and get more and more people um, involved in that work online. So I'm excited about that. Um, I'm excited about some of the new talks that I've crafted for um, Contagious You and Contagious Leadership in this body of work. So I'm looking forward to more speaking and sharing this content at different conferences and organizations in this next year. And then the last thing is I'm really excited about how this work impacts health and productivity and hiring processes and the financial well-being of organizations. And so this next year, I'm going to be doubling down on really helping companies get a handle on how contagiousness, how energy is impacting their bottom line and their ability to create results. And so I've got some surprises up my sleeve for that that'll be coming out later this year. Wow. You weren't kidding when you said you got lots of exciting things coming up. I love it. Yeah, I love, you know, I, I consider it my number one job is to continue, continue to push my own edges and to really get curious about what I'm curious about and then to be as useful as I possibly can in the world. So right now, this is the way that I feel like I can be most useful. So we'll, we'll hopefully, hopefully that's true. <laughs> we'll find out more about the book and about those programs. Anise mentioned at anisecavanaugh.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, this is, by the way, episode two. 99. Uh, her name is Anise Cavanaugh, and the book is Contagious You. Unlock your power to influence, lead, and create the impact you want. Pleasure, Anise. Thank you so much for your time today and for gracing us with your presence. I appreciate you being a part of the Read to Lead podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Jeff, for having me. Thank you for the conversation. 
Once again, for ways to connect with Anise, the links and resources we talked about, and a brief summary of this episode, just visit the blog post written just for this episode. You'll find that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 299 for episode 299. For questions, comments, feedback, or suggestions, send me a note, jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. And remember, too, when you try our sponsors' products, you're helping to support the Read to Lead podcast. Visit freshbooks.com slash read to lead for more on what they have to offer. Well, that'll do it for this week, this year, and the decade. I look forward to seeing you next decade for the next episode of the Read to Lead podcast. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 